This is Self, a show about real people who are challenging their relationship to money on their journeys toward a better future. Like me, Katrina Polanka grew up knowing that going to school to become a doctor was a sure path to success that her family would be proud of. But one seemingly small vote of confidence led her to take a leap of faith and pursue her passion for sports. And now, after years of hard work and sacrifice, Katrina is the VP of Global Partnerships for the San Antonio Spurs. And she's using her experience to help others fight for what they deserve while planning for a future that she would have never thought possible. Growing up on Guam as a first-generation American, I didn't have the luxury of, neither did my parents, right, have the luxury of planning for the future. Um, the only lesson about money that I had growing up was be frugal. My parents were always saving up. We were middle class. Uh, we lived in a three-bedroom, uh, two-bath house. Uh, my mom really invested in our education. She knew that was important. Other than that, I remember being made fun of in fifth grade for having holes in my shoes. Mm. And I remember my mom cutting the hems off of my skirts to make them longer without mm. having to buy a new set of uniform as I was growing up. She really instilled in us that we had to be frugal. Um, but other than that, there were no lessons about money. I didn't get an allowance. Chores were done for free. Um, I didn't have those opportunities to learn about the importance of saving aside from make sure you're squeezing every little bit out of every single item that you buy, um, which I suppose served me well in New York because I grew up feeling like I didn't need much to survive um, and didn't feel like I was trying to live up to a certain lifestyle. And then it evolved to really having to budget during my early years of my career um, trying to survive and make it. And it wasn't until 2018 where I really felt like I had a job that I was going to survive on. Um, and that was when I really started thinking about how do I invest in the future and how do I be smart with the money that I do have. It's interesting because money was at the core of why I picked my original career path, which is not where I am now. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. Same. <laughs> and they wanted me to be a doctor because of the salary. Mm -hmm. um, and at that time, there wasn't anything else I thought I wanted more. So doctor it was. And that was my career path even entering into my freshman year of college. I remember my mom making a doctor's appointment for me, not because I was sick, but because she wanted me to have a conversation with the doctor about how she got into medical school. And then my mom stepped out of the room and the doctor said, if you're doing this just for the paycheck, there are so many other ways to make six figures hmm. and you should not get into this if it's not really your passion. And that really stuck with me, but... I still majored in biology and pre-med going into my freshman year. I wanted to make my parents proud. And then there was a, a pivotal event in my life that forced me to change that path. And that catalyst was my then-boyfriend, now-husband's family. Um, it's these moments that are unplanned, right? We were watching a movie, and um, 
the credits started rolling. I don't even know what the movie was, but she looked at me and she said, um, you know, you can be anything you want. And I said, yeah. And she said, do you really want to be a doctor? I said, yes. Like I started defending it. I'm like, no, this is my dream. I've been wanting to be a doctor all my life. She's like, okay, I just want you to know that we believe in you and you can be anything you want to be. And this life is yours. And there's no one else you need to live it for but you. I think one of the reasons people are going to really connect with you and hearing your story and and how relatable it is to theirs is that you are at a crossroads at a point in your life. And we all have multiple crossroads, but I think that you've had like some major crossroads at some point, you know, where you were dealing with financial stability, your relationship with your parents, and you share so much of your story on your website. Um, But there's one particular section I'd love for you to read for us, if that's okay. Sure. I sobbed to myself. It must have looked like a bad breakup, a girl walking home in a blush A-line dress carrying a melting pint of Baskin-Robbins ice cream. I had only been in New York City for two months at that point. I moved from Guam, a tiny island in the Pacific where I was born and raised. Even with all of my budgeting, I had less than a month's rent in the bank. My boyfriend, now husband Dave, was struggling to find work. All I could afford for his birthday was this pint of Baskin-Robbins ice cream with a single candle planted at the center. The heat of my hands and the sticky summer day threatened to take even that away. It gets me teary-eyed when I read that. (laughs) I'm getting goosebumps because it's so – the imagery and and the way that you describe you walking down the street and you just trying to get this gift for your partner and and it's melting and you don't have the money for the rent and so – First off, thank you for, you know, your vulnerability and sharing. How is it that you navigated such a difficult time where maybe there was a lot of uncertainty as far as how you were going to make things work? I really threw my hat over the wall moving to New York City. I knew that if the money ran dry, I was going home. There was no other option. And when there is no other option but make it or go home – you find a way to figure things out. And that doesn't mean it was easy. There was a lot of budgeting. There was a lot of really looking at every single cent in that paycheck and figuring out where I could spend every single dollar. And it was a lifestyle that I wasn't used to. Um, Coming from living at home with my parents, even through college, I had a few jobs uh, because I wasn't paying rent and I wasn't paying for food. And there were times where we would be running the prices of the groceries. We would stop right in front of the cashier line, pull out our phones and make sure that everything in that cart was within budget, which makes it really hard when you have to add taxes to that. <laughs> taxes. But that that was really the only way. It was It was make it or don't. What did it feel like for you to have that switch from one way of life to another when it came to money? It was very tactical for me. I don't know that I realized that it was happening. It was a survival mechanism of like, again, there's there's no other choice. I do want to shout out that my then boyfriend, now husband, I mean, just an amazing supporter of that. He's he put everything aside mm-hmm. and took whatever job that he could to support my dream. He was paying half of the rent. Um, he wasn't putting his 
college degree to use. He was getting whatever job that he could. He had a master's in school counseling, but he couldn't. No one would give him a chance. And we got into an argument, I remember, and I was like, you have to get any job that you can. We need to survive. It sounds like for you, the tactical part of yourself was like, okay, we're going to have to figure out how to make this yep. work because you know what we're not going to do? Go back to Guam. Yes. <laughs> so, so I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of people listening can really feel that piece where it's like, we're trying to survive. And and I'm not an economist, okay? Like, let me give that a little disclaimer. Um, but a lot of people are talking about there being some concerning things happening financially in the world. And so I think, you know, that survival mode for a lot of people is kind of being peaked maybe, you know, in this season. Um, and it ebbs and flows. But for you to have the support of your now husband and for y'all to be able to navigate that together, I think is really unique because, you know, money fights and money problems are one of the biggest causes of separations and divorces and things like that. How was it that the two of you navigated, you know, dealing with surviving together and, and talking about money or did you not talk? Like, what did that look like for the two of you if you're open to sharing? When we started out, the expectation was rent was shared. So divided by two, you pay your share, I pay mine. We never shared how much each of us had in our respective accounts. After New York, Twitch offered me a job that was going to pay more than what the two of us were making in New York combined. Mm. And that was the big shift in our relationship of it not being split down the middle mm -hmm. and me becoming the breadwinner of our relationship and the discomfort that came with mm -hmm. that on both sides, me being embarrassed when people started to piece that together, when mm. I would introduce him and what he did. Yeah. Um, and him too, I think, feeling that, though he's never admitted it, feeling that, I don't know, inferiority when people would piece together that I was in tech in San Francisco and mm. he was a teacher in underserved communities and people would start to go, oh, okay, I, I get it. So that shift in our relationship, I think, was really interesting and something we're still navigating through. It sounds like y'all have been at least touching base with each other and having conversations and just really um, compassionate and, and, and sensing where each other might be in the process because it is touchy. It comes with a lot more than just like the numbers when it's when we're talking about money, right? Um, and it's not an easy thing to navigate. So kudos to y'all for continuing to, to work. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, but but y'all are. You know, it sounds like you're working out the best that you possibly can. And what's crazy is like aside from. Aside from making money, right, and once we have our basic needs met, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, everything else has nothing to do with money. Like, we really need money to make sure that we're safe, we have food, you know, we can, you know, cater to our, our quality of life to some extent. But then beyond that, it's like self-esteem and belonging and relationships and feeling like we're, we're contributing in the world. And if we can know that we're together because we care about each other, we have shared values, we want to build a life and whatever the case may be, I think more people would, would be able to navigate maybe with less challenges. Challenges will be there, but less challenges, yeah. I'll say. You well, know? I love that you brought up the hierarchy of needs because <laughs> you know what is so hard on the hierarchy of needs is identifying what it is you really need. And that's the 
that's what we're kind of going through now. Like be smart with your money because Mm. now it's catching up and obviously you need to save it for that day when we do decide to buy a house or have kids and do all of that. But having being right in between the two chapters of life where you're not a broke college student, (laughs) you're not struggling to survive in your first job, but you're also not indebted with all of the things that a child comes with. It's like now's the time that like we have to start being smart and not feeling it, really thinking about like what do you need versus what do you want and do you need to have that thing and mm. having a partner who is values aligned with you, right? Because if you, if the two of you are not on the same page, it makes that part very, very difficult. And usually in the relationship, there's a spender and a saver, but to be on completely different ends of the spectrum, it's hard because then as soon as you start trying to keep up with somebody else, you're losing. I think, you know, you're not just starting to be smart with money because what you mentioned before was when you transitioned from Guam to the U.S., you knew you had to be managing the money. And what I think gets in a lot of people's way is is delaying, delaying doing the hard thing now to have the other stuff later, the better stuff later on and doing what's easy and feels good now. And unfortunately having to pay for that later and you don't have lifestyle creep. Right. And so I recently had a baby and my husband's like, you have to get a new car. And I'm like, bruh, this car works just fine. Okay. (laughs) Point A to point B. The baby don't, what the baby doesn't know what kind of car is this or that. If I have a 2006 or a 2016, you know, as long as it's safe. Right. But, um, being able to spend in alignment, maybe with your values and what makes the most sense for you to, of course, enjoy your life in the moment, but also be contributing to the life you want to live in the future. And And it's scary because budgeting means you have to look at what you're spending. Mm. And sometimes facing it head on and knowing exactly how much money is coming in and looking at your paycheck and knowing exactly how much money is going out is... Is, it's not just an effort. It can be terrifying to see how much money you're really putting a mirror in front of yourself and you're facing the facts that you do spend that much on coffee. And it becomes this like it, it is it can be scary to hold a mirror up in front of yourself and really take a hard look at that reflection. Mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the two things I was doing was match the 401k and put away 20 percent at all costs. So that is ingrained in me and it's a habit. And I know most people say that the trick is to have that automate. So to have your bank automatically put Mm -hmm. away the 20% for you as soon as the, your check is received. I don't do that. I actually like to go in on payday and calculate the 20%. And I look at the next two weeks And I try to challenge myself to see if I can do more than 20%. And that's Mm. the reason I like to do it manually. If I don't have anything coming up in the next two weeks, I'll calculate what 30% looks like. And Mm. if I can do that, I'll put that away myself. And that feels better to me than just not seeing it. I see the pros of not seeing it because then you just, it's just going automatically. Out of sight, out of mind. Exactly. You never made (laughs) that money. (laughs) I think it's a partially like knowing yourself and what you're going to be really successful with. Cause it sounds like for you, it it's gratifying. It's satisfying to be able to see the money that you've been working for, calculate 
how much you get to save for whatever it is that you like, and then being able to do it manually. And then for some people, it really may be best for them to automate because of their personality style or whatever else, right? Um, so I would love for you to tell us a little bit about like your early career navigating how you, you know, went from one position to the other and leveled up financially, because I think so many people would be interested in hearing that. My first job out of college was a four-month recent graduate program in New York. That's what got me to the city. Uh, it made a prorated salary of $24,000 a year. So each paycheck was coming out, minus the taxes, coming out to like $600 or $800 per paycheck, uh, which is nothing. In New York? In New like, York. <laughs> no wonder. We couldn't afford to even rent an apartment. We were subletting, long-term subletting by the month because we couldn't, we weren't making 40 times the rent and we didn't have a guarantor to sign off on the lease. So we were doing Airbnbs until we could afford that first, uh, that first check. And um, the, the deal was if you got if you were offered a full-time position, your pay would get bumped, you would get promoted, but you would go from $24,000 to $38,000. Still pretty meager for what you need to survive in New York. Um, and from there, the one piece of advice that I heard from someone was don't move jobs for anything less than $10,000. So I said, okay. So the Brooklyn Nets job came along and that was my benchmark. I was like, if they can meet $48,000, I'm good to go. And a year into the job at the PR agency, uh, that's what we settled on at the Nets, $48,000 as a coordinator. It was their, their entry-level position in that department. Every promotion after that, and there were three, from coordinator to manager, uh, manager to senior manager. Well, I guess that's two, um, but three levels total, coordinator, manager, senior manager. I was getting bumped, not exactly 10,000, but I think I left there at like 75,000. And um, here's the, the moment that changed my entire trajectory. I was working really hard at that job. I really wanted to be in the NBA and it was a dream to work there, to work in basketball. I was first in, last out, and I was hustling at that job. Late one night, this guy came up to me. We were the last two people in that in our area of the office. And he said, hey, I just want you to know that my girlfriend, and they're now married, does what you do at ESPN, and she makes $125,000 a year. I said, holy crap, like that's almost double what I'm making. I didn't believe him. I was like, whatever. But I started putting applications in just to see. I needed to test the theory. And one of the first interviews that I got at another sports media company, uh, the, the HR recruiter asked me what my salary expectations were. And I could not even spit out that number. I was like, oh my gosh, she's going to laugh me out of the room. I'm, uh, 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 I'm like stuttering, <laughs> uh, uh, 125,000. And she's like, yeah, that's about right. And I said, whoa, like, wow, I'm really underpaid. Mm. And that was the turning point for me. Um, but ever since then, I've, and then in tech, it's a completely different world. Like the bar changes. That just changed my entire perspective. Now, when I get a job offer, I'll send out that number to five or six different people. And 
I straight, I straight up ask, like, is this a good offer? I especially tried to, to message people who have been in that role before and who are now past that role to see if I'm getting the right offer. There's this one woman who used to be on my team who has since left. She went to go work for a company that I used to work for. And I said, one, I'm happy for you. You have to do what's best for you and your career. Two, send me their offer mm. because I will help you figure out whether that's the right offer. She asked, she had a good offer, um, but she could have bumped up the RSUs. And I asked, I told her that I said, you can get those RSUs up. Just a quick side note before we jump back into the conversation. Sometimes companies offer employees RSUs as a part of their compensation package. RSUs, or restricted stock units, are company shares, usually based on employment level, time of employment, and other factors. Now, back to Katrina. This is what I got when I started at this level. Ask for that and ask for more. Like, ask for more remote days. Ask for more vacation days. So um, I've definitely tried to offer up my time to help people figure out whether that offer is a good offer and and how to ask uh, for more. Look at you from a hundred, what? Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, from not being able to say, right, the salary range that, you know, you were told to now being able to talk about it maybe with more poignance and, and assertiveness um, and being able to help and support other people to do the same. I think all of us have something that we're really focused on and really passionate and passionate about driving in our lives, right? And living maybe more of mission-driven existences. Um, for you in this season of your life, what kind of builder would you say that you are as far as what you want to contribute to and see happen in the world? and Or maybe it's just in your life personally. I think I am a future builder. There's so much power in lifting as you climb that I think the effects of impacting even the, the one or two people around you build so much for the future. Whenever someone asks me for advice on anything, not just money, but where they're at in their careers, what they should do next, what they're good at, I will never say no. When someone reaches out to me cold on LinkedIn, I will take that call because I remember all of the times that my messages weren't taken. And there comes a point maybe where there isn't time to do that. Um, but right now I'm striving to take every single one of those calls. And when you impact even just the two or three people around you, those people will then ideally pay it forward and impact two or three other people and two or three other people. And that's how you build a network of sustainable growth and leadership for the future. A future builder. I'm nearly in tears. I think it, it can be really difficult trying to navigate all of these spaces and figure out how to make everything work and just adult. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, for you to be so open to share what you've been learning in the process and, and passionate about lifting as you climb. So, you know, you talked about some things happening in the future, hopefully, you know, maybe purchasing a home, potentially having kids and really trying to figure out what that looks like for you. What would you say, you know, are some ideas that you've been coming up with to help you get clarity on what this next season of your life looks like? 
I have this dream of taking a six-month sabbatical, home base, Italy. I've never been to Italy. I like spaghetti. That's all I needed to decide that Italy was going to be the home base. And (laughs) gelato. And gelato. (laughs) And um, I'd like to spend some time exploring Europe and writing and just existing and being. And having this time with my husband before, if and when we decide to have children, to experience the world. And I think a lot of that was affected by the pandemic, definitely. Like, would I be happy if I died tomorrow? Mm. I don't think I would if I didn't have this opportunity to, to just spend some time experiencing the world. And I've gotten really tactical about it in the last couple of years with some of that discretionary income, figuring out how much money I would need to make that a reality um, and how much it would be to, we've looked up Airbnbs, like we've looked up and it's, part of it is manifestation, but part of it is we really have to start setting those funds aside and not just for the six months that we could potentially be traveling, Mm -hmm. But also for, I like to be safe. I'm a very conservative budgeter. So I'm like, worst case scenario, I come back and it takes me 12 months to find a job. So preparing for one and a half years of not having Mm. a steady, consistent paycheck, looking at cities and figuring out where can we afford a studio apartment to survive for 12 months if a steady paycheck wasn't coming in. Um, we've started to put that money aside. It's always been on my mind. Um, and I think part of it was actually a trip to Italy that I didn't go on because I ended up starting my job at Twitch. And I didn't want to ask them on, for, to go on vacation the oh, first six no. months. <laughs> so I lost the the deposit on that Airbnb and our flight was not cancelable. So we just lost the money on it. So in my heart, there's still this open loop of getting to Italy. I don't know what's out there, but something's calling me out there. Um, and in the last few months, we've really gotten tactical about planning it out and figuring out how much money we would need to save up for it. And at this point, that money is starting to match the down payment on the house. So I got to make some decisions. I love it. I'm so excited for you. Gelato, walking on the beach, eat, pray, loving, living your best life. <laughs> Thank you. And we appreciate you just sharing your insights and your experiences, being vulnerable with us. And how exciting is the future for you, you know, from from where you are now. So thank you for having me. Self is hosted by me, Jacent Wamala. You can find me on Instagram at Jacent's Gems for money mindset tips and much, much more. And you can learn more about today's guest, Katrina Polanka, at katrinapolanka.com. For Self, Eileen Busing is head of communications and brand. Amy Rue is content marketing manager. And Alexandria Hatchett is senior compliance manager. For ACAST Creative, Shante Howell is our executive producer. This episode was produced by Natalia Aldesoro, Emma Spellacy, and Shante Howell, with podcast art by Emma Spellacy. And for LWC Studios, Paulina Valesco is managing producer, with mixing and sound design by Judy Bell Kamungian.